Praise the Lord. Open your Bibles with me this morning to a couple of places. Some places we looked at together last week. Um, how many of you have been watching online? Let me see your hands. Thank you, Lord. All right. Well, it's good to be in church together this morning. Those of you who are watching online today, get your Bible. I want you to posture yourself today. What do I mean by that? I mean in your heart, in your mind, with your attention. Turn your attention to the Word of God. When you try to do too much and your attention is too divided, you miss out on something. And I believe today that the Lord's got answers for us as we come before His Word. So get your Bible. Uh, if you have to, get something to write with. And... Um, let the Lord speak to you today. 1 Timothy chapter 3. You can find that. And if you'll also find Acts chapter 9. 1 Timothy 3, Acts chapter 9. Thank you, Lord. We looked at these verses last week. Let's look at them again together. In 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul is writing to this young man, this young pastor, Timothy, and he's talking to him in verse 14. He says, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Did you know that that's who we are and that's what we are? That is the place and the significance that the church holds that the church held then, that the church holds today. We are, according to the word of God, the pillar and the ground of truth. That's a big deal. Right now in the world where we're living, in the culture that we're in, truth is so subjective. Truth is so personalized. Truth can be whatever you want it to be. But that's not the truth. The truth is something that stays constant, unchanging, unending, no matter what's going on around it, the truth is the only firm foundation. And what Paul wrote to Timothy and said here about the church, he said the church of the living God is the pillar and the ground of the truth. That's the significance of the place that we hold in this society, both our part in it and our part as members of the global body of Christ. But he wrote to him and said, if I'm delayed, I write to you so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Does it matter how you act in church? Yes. We've got verses of scripture here. Paul saying, listen, the only reason I'm writing is if I can't get there in person. But if I can't get there in person, I'm writing now so that you will know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, how to behave in church. Do I have any other church kids in here, church brats, kids that just grew up in church? Anybody else? I see a few hands around the room. You grew up in church. I grew up in church, man. I feel like we were there every time the doors were open. Now, I was born into a ministry family, so we were in church a lot, but we were in church and then some. My family had conferences and conventions and not just one or two. I mean, they were doing them on the West Coast. They were doing them on the East Coast. They were doing them in the South, in the North. They were doing them across the world and other countries. And my mom and dad, as often as they could, would drag me and my sister from our home in Fort Worth, Texas. And it was, it was commonplace to be on a plane headed somewhere else going to church, going to some conference, going to some meeting. But then around junior high... 
my parents started pastoring the church that we were a part of there in Fort Worth. And that's when life changed a little bit for me. I was always a PK or a PGK, preacher's grandkid, if that's a thing. But then all of a sudden, I became the pastor's kid. And I, I've toyed around with the idea of writing a book called My Life on the Front Row. <laughs> the, the trials and triumphs of a full-time preacher's kid. And I figured out somewhere, I don't know, junior high, high school, that's like, okay, look, Jeremy, you're living in a fishbowl. You know what that expression means? People are watching. And I thought, well, just keep the glass clean, man. If you're going to have to live in a fishbowl, you might as well keep the glass clean. And I realized pretty quickly that people in church were watching, people outside of church were watching, and it was a big deal how you act in church, the way you behave in church. Now, if you grew up in church, depending on how your mom and dad handled it, you might have experienced that, that sharp, pointy elbow, <laughs> your mother's right elbow in your ribs. Why? Because this is church. Stop laughing. Stop giggling. Wake up. Stop smacking. Whatever, you know. And we looked at uh, those things. I, I, I don't know if you saw this or not, but we found that whole list online, how to behave appropriately in church. And we were laughing about it, but the truth is there's a lot of opinions. There's a lot of different ways of thinking about it. And some of it depends on, you know, if you grew up in church, well, what kind of church? Was it a denominational church? Was it a charismatic church? Because there's a difference in the way those two people act in church, right? Uh, a lot of it had to do with maybe what part of the country you grew up in. Some parts of the country are more reserved. Some parts are a little bit louder than you have Texas. I mean, it just really depends on a lot of different factors, right? And some of that's good. Some of it's nothing but tradition, and it's empty. But if the Bible has something to say about how we conduct ourselves in church, do you think it would be important to take a few minutes and make note of it? He says, I'm writing to you here for one reason, that you know how to conduct yourself in the house of God. Now, oftentimes we think of that and all of a sudden we immediately connect it to something stiff, something rigid, silence. Shut up, we're in church. That's not really exactly what he's saying here. But if we will be diligent to make note of what he's saying I think you'll see today, and as we study this more, that there's a connection between how you conduct yourself in the house of God and what you get out of the house of God. How you act in the house of God is really inseparably connected to what God's able to do for you while you're in the house of God. I want to get out of our time together as much as God has for us to get out of it. I don't want to leave anything on the table, as they say, right? I want all of it. Well, what we're going to find out is a lot of it's connected to the way we conduct ourselves. Now, he, if you back up, we won't take time to read it all, but he is writing to Timothy, talking to him about bishops in the church. That just means overseers. That might mean a position like what Sarah and I hold or some of the, the leaders that we have under us. Then he writes to deacons, and really that could just be summed up by talking about people who serve. That's literally, in those two words, he's covering every person in this room this morning. Those in leadership and those who are serving. And when you look back at the things he talks about and the requirements that he has from those individuals, there's one word that shows up once, shows up again, shows up again, and it's reverence. Why don't you say that word with me? Reverence. This is one of the prerequisites for those who lead, for those who serve. 
And again, he's talking about the way we conduct ourselves in church. It doesn't matter what denomination you grew up in or what part of the country or part of the world. If you're going to look to the word to instruct you on how to behave in church, then you'd see here right away, there's going to have to be some reverence in it. Now, again, you, you got to stop with the immediate connection to that stiffness, that rigidness, that solemn sobriety where the, the don't make a sound. What reverence is, and I believe the Lord will help us see this clearly as we go on. Reverence is simply knowing what to do when. Knowing what kind of moment you're in and responding accordingly. Some of the greatest times we've had in church is when we're laughing. I mean, we had a few weeks ago in here where Sarah was leading worship with our crew and, and this new song was coming out and the words came out kind of jumbled. It was brand new. And yet the glory of God hit this place. And the presence of God filled this place. We weren't, we weren't being silent. We weren't being rigid. There was a moment where the Lord was doing something and we yielded to it. That's reverence. Now, there are those moments when the presence of God can be so thick, can be so heavy and weighty with his glory that all you can do is be silent. That's reverence. Reverence is about knowing what kind of moment you're in. Having enough spiritual maturity to just recognize it. I tell the story on myself sometimes. Uh, when my parents first started pastoring our church, like I said, junior high, eighth, ninth grade or so for me, I, a year or two into pastoring, they started doing these Monday night meetings. They called them Miracle Mondays. And they had this evangelist come in, this fiery guy, man. He was one of those guys. You, you would come to the front for healing and he'd say, what's wrong with you? And somebody would start to talk and he'd say, shut up, be healed. And just <laughs> like, okay. And yet... People would get up well. And uh, so these were the kind of meetings that they were having on these Monday nights. And a lot of people were coming out to them. The little chapel sanctuary that we were in when we first started, my parents first started pastoring, really only held a couple of hundred people. But man, it was packed. And we were seeing some awesome things. And I remember as a kid watching mom and dad and their leadership team and, and their prayers, especially on these Monday nights and when this evangelist would come in. It just, the whole atmosphere was different. But as a preacher's kid, you, when you're young enough, you start to get this sense of, what's the right word? Liberty? Like, you can kind of go anywhere. You can kind of do anything, right? And I remember walking into the speaker's room of that little chapel, and it was small. It was really small. I mean, maybe just this little corner right here. And I walk in and that evangelist is there and mom and dad are there and all their prayers are standing around and man, it's quiet in there. Church is getting ready to start. And I walk in and I kind of see everybody and I walk over to the chip drawer, the snack drawer, open that bad boy up, grab me some Doritos, pop that bag open. I'm standing around eating chips. Nobody's saying a word. It's quiet. All you can hear in the whole room is <laughs> Jeremy eating chips. And I thank God that there was at least enough spiritual awareness in that moment to go, I don't think I'm supposed to be in here right now. And even if I am, I don't think I'm supposed to be eating chips in the middle of this moment. 
That's beginning to learn the reverence of God. And I know it sounds silly and we're laughing a little bit about it, but you would be amazed at how many, not junior hires, not high school students, full-blown adults don't have the ability or the spiritual maturity to walk into a place and, and just sense, and I don't even know if that's the right word, but that's the only word I can think of, just have a sense of what the Lord is wanting to do right then. There's a way, there's a right way to conduct ourselves. And if we'll find out what it is, it will elevate how much we get out of this service. It will increase how much God is able to do in our midst. And I think we're going to see today that there are some little changes, just little things that we can change or tweak that open up a whole new degree of the manifestation of the presence of God in the house of God. Did you find Acts chapter 9? Look at that with me as well. Acts chapter 9, another verse we looked at last week. And if you were with us last week or you were tuning in, I have to apologize. I got so excited about it. I think I tried to just cram too much into one service, but give me a break. I'm young. I'm learning. We just started pastoring like, what time is it? Not very long ago. But in Acts chapter 9, verse 31, it says, Then the churches throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. They were edified. That means they were built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, they were multiplied. They were increased. What was the source or the catalyst of the increase, the multiplication of this church? And this church was growing and growing fast, miraculously, exponentially fast. What was the source of it? Well, there's a number of things throughout the book of Acts that you can identify, but the thing you see here in chapter 9, verse 31, they were walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And that word walking is important because that indicates to us this was not just a Sunday from 10 to noon kind of thing. They were walking in it all the time, day in, day out, living in these two things, the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit. Now, these two things are not two different things, but rather two sides of the same thing. And they were walking in it all the time, all the time, all the time. And whether you're talking about a church that grows or you're talking about a business that grows, anything that grows and grows miraculously fast, anything that grows and grows faster than other things like it, there's got to be a reason for it. And I believe that you could bottom line it and say the reason that this place would grow or that place would grow when all others aren't, it's because people are finding something there that they can't find everywhere else. I believe it's their, the, the reason is they're finding something that impacts them, that changes them, and they, they, they hadn't found it before, and they can't find it anywhere else. And that's true about a business that creates a product. What, what, why, would a, why would a product just explode and everybody buys it? Because well, it does something for them that's either they've never had done for them before or something else claimed to and it couldn't. But on a spiritual level, why would a church grow? Or why would this church grow? 
It's because these people were finding something in this place as a part of this company connected with these believers that they had never found anywhere else, nor could they find anywhere else. And in just make it as simple as I can, I believe what they found was the reality of God. God was real to them. That's what it means to walk in the fear of the Lord. It just means God's real to you. You're not casual with it. You're not flippant with it. He's real. He's really, really real. And that sounds so elementary, but it really is that simple. The fear of the Lord begins with the acknowledging that there is a God. He's real. He's real. And coupled with that, they were not just walking in the fear of the Lord, but in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. That was real to them. They were finding something that they'd never found before. And you can't find the comfort of the Holy Spirit somewhere else. The comfort of the Holy Spirit is not found in a bottle. The comfort of the Holy Spirit is not found in a drug. The comfort of the Holy Spirit is not found in any other kind of connection or relationship or anything else that this world has to offer. The comfort of the Holy Spirit is only found in the Holy Spirit. And that's walking with this reality that God is. He's real. He's real. He's real. How many would raise a hand in here and say this morning, I know that God is real. Has God made himself real to anybody else in this place? Well, let me ask you this. Could he be more real? Is there more yet to see? That's what we're going to find out today. I'm telling you, I don't think I've ever made a promise like this before, but I will promise you something this morning. If you will hear this, Receive it as a truth, put it into practice in a very short amount of time. You will be experiencing greater degrees of the manifestation of God in your life than you ever have before. I know that's a big promise, but we're going to find it in the word today. Uh, Go back to the book of Leviticus. We also looked at this together last week, but I want to spend a little more time with it this morning. In the book of Leviticus... Start in chapter 8 with me, Leviticus 8. You've already told me that you believe God could be more real to you. Do you want that? Do you hunger for that? That really should be one of the most prominent thoughts, one of the most... uh, Help me say it, Lord. How do you say it? You and I ought to wake up with that kind of hunger every day. That no matter how much of the glory of God you saw the day before or in times past, you're hungry for more today than you've ever seen or experienced before in your life. Thank you, Lord. And in uh, the book of Leviticus chapter 8, look at the the first verse there. Chapter 8, verse 1. Notice what it said. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, just stop right there. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, that's a big deal. We read it. It's got to be hundreds of times throughout the scriptures, whether he's talking to Moses or you back up and he's talking to Adam or Eve or Abraham or Isaac or Jacob whether he's talking to one of his prophets, whether he's talking to David, we read it so often that we forget what a big deal it actually is. 
that the God of the universe would talk to people. We sit up in here and we nod our heads to it. Oh, amen. That's good. But you know, just like I do, when you even allude to God talking to you out there in the world, man, people will raise an eyebrow at you in a hurry. You are crazy. What's worse is somebody gets on TV in an interview and says, God said to me, oh, excuse me, what? He said, God said to him. But this is a big deal. This is a big deal. And don't ever think that God only speaks to special people, certain people. Well, yeah, we've seen his word. He spoke to Adam. Well, obviously, first man ever. He's going to have to say a few things to him. Okay, well, well, what about Abraham? Well, that was, you know, that's Father Abraham, right? The father of many nations. Okay, well, what about Isaac? Well, he's one of the patriot. Folks, you can go down the list. And you are going to end up with a list of hundreds, thousands of special people. At some point, you're going to have to acknowledge, okay, they're not special in the sense that, that God spoke to them and wouldn't to somebody else. The Lord said to Moses, that needs to, to stand out to you. That needs to grab your attention. Because if you're willing to admit that he spoke to Moses, he spoke to this one and that one and the other, just the, the list that we've mentioned, then at some point you're going to have to acknowledge that God desires to speak to you. And I'll give it another step beyond that. Not only does he desire to speak to you, but you can hear him. Yes. You have the ability to hear the voice of God. And I'm not talking about hearing something with your natural ears out loud, but I'm talking about hearing from him the way he'll talk to anybody. And it's one of the most simple foundational things that we see in scripture. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. Can I see all the hooves of the sheep out here? They have, that's you. That's, do sheep have hooves? I don't even know. <laughs> we, we can hear his voice. The Lord said to Moses, but here's the thing. Just because it's not unusual, or in other words, just because God will speak to you every day, just because he does speak to you every day, all day, every day, if you'll listen, just because it happens often does not mean we get to treat it as common. Are you with me? Did you catch that? Just because it happens often doesn't mean we get to treat it as common. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, verse two, take Aaron and his sons with him and the garments, the anointing oil, a bull as the sin offering, two rams and a basket of unleavened bread. You ever notice how detailed God is? You ever notice how precise he is? You really see that in his relationship with Moses. I mean, he's really spelled some things out to him. Verse three, he said, this is God speaking to him. Gather all the congregation together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Verse four. So Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Do you know how many times that statement right there shows up in scripture? Just in the books of Moses. I sat down and tried to count. It's hundreds. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. Moses did as the Lord commanded him. 
Now, when we hear that the Lord commanded him, oftentimes we think about the, the, the way something came across, the way God spoke to him. I command you, right? That could have been, but I believe it's more of a window, not just into what God said or how he said it, but how Moses heard it. Come on, are you listening to me? It's a view into the way he received it. Moses heard the voice of God, which is a big deal. I mean, yeah, it happened a lot, but he didn't treat it as common. It's not just what God said and how he said it. It's the way Moses received it. And you can see how he received it because he did as the Lord commanded him. Verse Well, the rest of verse four said the congregation was gathered together at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Moses said to the congregation, this is what the Lord commanded to be done. And we won't take time to read all this, but it's really fascinating. And there's so much detail in it. He begins to separate Aaron and Aaron's sons into this office of the priest. And he begins to anoint them as priests. But the detail that the Lord commanded him with, the detail of the garments and the, the details in, in the, he even talks about the hat that they wore. I mean, there's so much detail in it. God is so precise. But what I want you to see here is that at every turn, Moses is doing as the Lord commands. In other words, he's not making it up as he goes along. He's not just free to put his own spin and his own interpretation on what God said. Have you noticed how much of that there is right now? And how it's being touted as a good thing? And leaders are being taught that if you've got people serving you and working for you, really what you should be doing is just turning things over to them and giving them, quote unquote, ownership of it. And there are people that work for and serve leaders that get upset. You're micromanaging me. You need to just let me do it. You need to let me have it and let me do it my way. Said who? (laughs) Said who? It ain't your thing. It is not yours to do with whatever you want. Huh? Moses didn't take these kind of liberties with the voice and the word of God. I went through my Bible and highlighted every time that the scripture said that Moses did as the Lord, as the Lord commanded uh, chapter eight, verse nine, he put the turban on his head. God talked to him about the turban. God's detailed also on the turban on its front. He put the golden plate, the Holy crown, As the Lord commanded Moses, verse 13, Moses brought Aaron's sons and put tunics on them, girded them with sashes and put hats on them as the Lord commanded Moses. He's not making this stuff as he uh, making this up as he goes along. The Lord gave him instruction about this. Verse 17, he's uh, he's talking about the sacrifice, the bull, it's hide, it's flesh, it's offal. He burned with fire outside the camp as the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 21. It was a burnt sacrifice for a sweet aroma, an offering made by fire to the Lord. Say it with me. As the Lord commanded Moses. Verse 29, Moses took the the breast and waved it as a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses part uh, of the ram of consecration 
as the Lord had commanded Moses. God's got so much detail and he's so precise in all of his instructions. And Moses heard it, not as suggestions, not as recommendations, but as what? Commands. That is the value that he put on the word of God. That's the place he elevated it and the esteem and the respect or the reverence that he gave towards God and to his word. Verse 35, he said, therefore you shall stay at the door of the tabernacle of meeting day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord so that you may not die for so I have been commanded. So Aaron and his sons did all the things that the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses. Chapter nine, uh, Moses begins to call the congregation to the tent. And he said to him in verse four, he talked to him about the bull and the ram that they're to bring as peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord and a grain offering mixed with oil. Why? For today... The Lord will appear to you. The Lord will appear to you. Now, once again, remember, what are we connecting? What two dots are we connecting here? The way you conduct yourself in the house of God and what God is able to do for you and show you and manifest to you in the house. And Moses made this promise. He said, if you do what's commanded today, the Lord will appear to you. That's not metaphorical. That's not hyper-spiritual. Look it up. It means God's going to show up. Moses stood at the tent and said, hey, we got a guest coming to church today. We got a guest speaker. Oh yeah, who is it? Uh, Jehovah. (laughs) Jehovah's coming to church today and you're going to see him. See, I can already tell we're, we're hearing this going, oh yeah, that's neat. It's not neat. It's not, it's, it's not a, a neat thing. It's not a, nobody was standing around that day going, oh, look, God's here. What's up, G? Nobody. God's coming to church today. Verse five, so they brought what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meeting. And all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord commanded you to do. And the glory of the Lord will appear to you. The glory of the Lord will appear to you. You will see it. See what? The glory. The glory. Now, what are we building this church on? Ephesians 3.21, to him be glory in this church. By Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. We want in this church whatever gives him glory. What we're saying is, God, we want the glory in this church. We want to see it. We want people to to encounter it. We want people to be changed by it. And whatever gives you glory, that's what we'll have. If people being born again gives you glory, Lord, that's what we'll have in this church. If people being healed physically brings glory to you, that's what we'll have in this church. If marriages being restored and families being put back together gives God glory, then that's what we will have in this church. If people being rescued from from debt and financial ruin and they're being lifted up and to be lifted up out of the dung heap and set with princes, if that gives you glory, that's what we will have in this church. What are we saying? We want the glory. We want the glory of God. Come to church, Jesus. Come to church, Jesus. You are welcome to come to church. We invite you into this place, right? 
there's a way to have that. There's a way to experience that in greater degrees. Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord commanded you to do. Notice what's connected to it. The glory will appear to you. Would the glory of God appear to them if they were casual with the word of God? If God said some things to them and they said, hmm, I'm on board with about 30% of that. You've really given me some things to think about here, God. Hmm, that's interesting. What's for lunch? Do you think that the people who approach the word of God, even though he's speaking all the time, but those who approach it as commonplace and are casual with it, do you think that those are the ones who get the manifestations of the glory of God? No. Who gets that? The ones who hear it, and no matter what tone he says it in, they receive it as a command. They honor it. They value it. They reverence it. This is walking in the fear of the Lord. Chapter 9 goes on. More detail. More detail about the burnt offering. More detail about what to do with the bull. What to do with the ram. And it's intense. I'm going to be honest with you. It's intense. And uh, there's a lot of cutting. There's a lot of bleeding. There's a lot of burning going on. And in verse 16, it says, He brought the burnt offering and offered it according to the prescribed manner. The prescribed manner. When a doctor gives a patient a prescription, he identifies what's going on in them and it says, here's a medicine that will address this. Take two of these once a day. And then let's talk again in a few weeks. What is that? That's a prescription. Does that person have the liberty to go home and say, well, you know what? If two of these will help, I bet seven would really do a bang up job. Well, you can do that. But what you're demonstrating is that that guy who went to school for the last 12 years and has all this experience, he really doesn't know what he's talking about. I'm going to go ahead and do what I think. So I'm going to take seven of these three times a day and we're going to speed this thing up. What's wrong with that? It's not the prescription. And what you're demonstrating is that whatever he said to you was really more of just a recommendation, more of just a suggestion. And you know what? Take ownership. You should just take ownership. What happens if somebody takes ownership and refuses to obey the prescription? Huh? I mean, they take their own lives into their hands. And it says here, he offered, he made the offering, the burnt offering, offered it according to the prescribed manner. If God said, do this and do it this way, do you have liberty to do something else a different way? More details, more details, more details about all this. Verse 22, Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them. This is still the, the assignment 
of the minister, the pastor, the priest now to bless the people came down from the offer from offering the sin offering and the burnt offering and peace offerings. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting, came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Why? Why did the glory appear? Why did the glory show up? Because God spoke and Moses did as the Lord commanded. He spoke and he did as the Lord commanded over and over and over down to every detail, everything concerning this offering, everything concerning the anointing, everything concerning the priest. God gave detail. God gave a prescription and Moses did it in the prescribed manner. He heard the word of the Lord, valued the word of the Lord, obeyed the word of the Lord. And now what do you have? This is not coincidence. This isn't just because God wanted to do this this day. Moses in his obedience obedience to the word, to the word, reverence for the word. What did that do? Opened a door for the manifestation of the glory of God. And the glory of God appeared to these people. It says the the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. Yeah, I bet they did. God came to church. He saw the offering and he said, oh, is that mine? I'll take that. He came and picked up, Brother Keith says this, he picked up his own offering that day. The fire of God came out of heaven and consumed that offering. This is the manifestation of the glory of God. These people are having church this day. They all shouted. They fell on their faces Now, this is not time. Discern the moment. What kind of moment are you in right now? Is this a grab some Doritos out of the snack drawer moment? No, Jeremy, it's not. It's not time for that. What time is it? When the presence of God, the presence of the the Lord is manifested, manifested and the glory of God is so real in a place. What time is it? It might be time for a shout. It might be time to fall on your face, but whatever you do, respond to that. It's in response to that. Thank you, Lord. Am I making sense today? Help me. The presence of God showed up in the place. They shouted. They fell on their faces. They're having church. But chapter 10, verse 1 says, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, The ones who just a chapter or two before God had said, separate, anoint them, put them in this office, gave them a place of leadership. What'd they do? In response to all this fire, it says, each took his censer and put fire in it and put incense on it and offered profane fire before the Lord. Notice this last line, which he had not commanded. What's happening? Somebody's taking ownership. Somebody's feeling some liberty, right? Somebody's capitalizing on the moment. Man, look, we got God in this place today. The fire's coming and the offering's been consumed. And you know what? Here, let's do this. Get your sensor. I'll get mine. We'll go put some fire in it, right? And we'll put some incense on it. What is incense? Just something that smells good. 
And I don't know, maybe all the bull guts and ram guts when you set them on fire, perhaps. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't smell that good. I can only imagine. Now, we know from Scripture it's a sweet-smelling aroma to God, but maybe this day it's like, man, that's rough. You know what we should do? We should get some of that fire, but we can improve on this. We can improve on this. We can improve on what God said to do. So what'd they do? They went and got those censers, put some fire in it, put some incense in it. God had not commanded that. I want you to notice the result. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So evidently, that's what those two boys didn't do. By straying from the word of the Lord, by going and trying to improve on this, by not treating his word as a command, but by taking liberty and taking so-called ownership. The Lord spoke and said, what they didn't do, they didn't sanctify me in the eyes of the people. He said, by anybody who comes near me, I must be regarded as holy. What else did he say? Before all the people, I must be glorified. Now, I'm, for one, I'm thankful we're not seeing these kinds of things happen too much in church services where people just are consumed by the fire of God. However, the book of Hebrews does say that you and I are to serve God with fear and, and a, a, with a reverence and a godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. And that's New Testament. That word consuming is the exact same word devouring. And oftentimes we think of that, that as a purely negative thing, a consuming, a devouring fire. But there are some things you want the fire to burn up. There are some things you need the fire to burn up. When the sun came up this morning, I was sitting in the living room and I'm looking at the frost on the, on the trees and the snow beginning to fall. I said, this is a good morning for a fire. I went down, grabbed some wood, started a fire nice and cozy. But you know what? That fire never would have come into existence if I hadn't given it something to burn up. That devoured that wood. So it's a good thing. It's a good thing. But we're instructed to serve God with reverence and a godly fear because he is a consuming fire. And what they found out that day is that you can obey God and not love him, but you cannot love him and not obey him. You can obey God without loving him. Be so afraid and terrified of him that if he tells me to do something and I don't do it, man, fire's coming down and going to eat me up. But that's not the right motivation. But on the other hand, you cannot love him without obeying him. 
Last scripture. Look at this with me in John chapter 14. I feel like you need a little New Testament here. Will this help you out a little bit? In John chapter 14, let's look at something Jesus said. Beginning in verse 15, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Listen to it from the Amplified Bible. He said, if you really love me, you will keep and obey my commands. Verse 21, Jesus said, the person who has my commands and keeps them is the one who really loves me. And whoever really loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him. Our obedience is not to be done out of terror of God. Not that kind of fear, but we obey because we love. Jesus said, if you love me, the proof of that love will be in your obedience to what? My commands. What did Moses do? Moses did as the Lord commanded him. That's you and I hearing the voice of Jesus either through his word or by his spirit and elevating that to the level of a command. Not a suggestion, not a recommendation, not open to interpretation. A command. He said, the person who has my commands and keeps them is the one who really loves me. Like I said to you a moment ago, you can't love him and not obey him. If you say you love God and you never do anything he tells you to do, you're either kidding yourself or flat out lying. Because you can obey him without loving him, but you cannot love him without obeying him. The one who has my commands, the one who really loves me and whoever really loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love him. Now notice what's connected to this and will show, reveal, manifest myself to him. I will let myself be clearly seen by him. What did Jesus say? I will make myself real. You already told me just a few minutes ago that you believed he could be more real to you today than he was yesterday, than he was in time past. How do you experience greater degrees of the reality of Jesus, the reality of the presence of God in your life? I'm talking about God, not in theory, God, not in tradition, God, not in somebody else's words or their experience. I'm talking about God in real life, God in your life. God really in your life. You experiencing him, you hearing from him, him manifesting himself to you. What else, what else would we want? Huh? Tell me what could not be fixed and changed and saved forever by a manifestation of Jesus. Huh? What, what sickness in your body would not be fixed like that by a manifestation of Jesus, the healer? There's not one. There's nothing. There's no lack that can't be supplied. There's no need that can't be met by a manifestation of Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And just so we're clear, 
I'm coming to church every Sunday from now until the next 30 years or so expecting this, believing for this, desiring this right here. What? A manifestation of Jesus. I am not content. I am not satisfied with you coming into this place, hearing a few things I or Sarah have to say and going home unchanged, unaffected because there was no manifestation of Jesus. This is what we want. This is what we desire. This is what we're after. This is what we're hungry for. How do we get it? Huh? How do we get it? Obedience. Obedience. You take what he says and you do it. I told you. I told you there'd be one thing that you could take, and if you'd hear it as truth, if you'd believe it and you'd apply it, it would open the door to greater degrees of the manifestation of God in your life. You want to know what it is? Do what he says. Do what he says to do. Now, do you think we could have these kind of manifestations in this service if the Lord said, do one thing, and Sarah and I decided to do something else? If we take ownership if we take liberty with the instructions and the commands of God, do we have any right or reason to expect the manifestation of his presence in here? Not one. And you would agree with that. I mean, we're leaders and pastors of a church. Yeah, you should hear from God. Yeah, you should do what he says. What about you, baby? What about you tomorrow morning? Huh? What about you on a Wednesday afternoon? What about you when you're making decisions about your finances, about your ministry, your family, whatever it is? Do you have the same responsibility I do to hear from him and do it? Amen. Yes, you do. And if you don't, if you choose not to, then you have no right, you have no reason to expect a greater degree of the manifestation of Jesus in your life. But if you do, if you treat his words like commands, then here's his promise. I'll, I'll love you. I'll show myself to you. I'll reveal and manifest myself to you. I will let myself be clearly seen by you and make myself real to you. How many of you know that on that day in front of that tabernacle, nobody was on the fence about the existence of God? Nobody saw that fire consume that offering and go, and said, I'm still not convinced that there's a God. He became very, very real to them that day. Do you believe there's some things we can experience in our services that would make God real to you? Do you believe that there's some things that could happen in here that somebody could come, on, come in off the street on the fence, undecided, I don't know about this God thing, and yet they encounter him in such a real way that they leave this place marked and changed forever and never again question the reality and the existence of a good and loving God. We can have some of that. We can have that in here, but it is going to require hearing his word, treating it like a command, doing what he said to do with precision, with attention to every detail, this is the fear of the Lord. This is the fear of the Lord. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Somebody tell me what the next word is. Anybody know? Honor. Honor your father and mother. Do you notice what's connected to obedience? Honor. Honor your father and mother, and it will go well with you. 
This is the first commandment. The first what? Commandment with a promise. There was a promise attached to that. Honor is obedience, or excuse me, obedience is honor, and the promise attached to it is prosperity. It will go well with you. Well, if obedience is honor, what is disobedience? It's dishonor. And I want to just give you this last statement that I think is going to help sort of maybe open your understanding to what true obedience really is. If I was to say to you, obeying God is what? You might say, well, it's doing what God said. And that's true. But let me add a word to that statement that I think is going to help. Obedience, obeying God, is not just doing what God said to do. It's doing only what God said to do. Not adding anything to it. Not putting incense on your own fire. Huh? It's doing only. What did Jesus say? I do only those things that I see my Father do. I say only those things that I hear my Father say. Nobody said anything that day about incense and getting some fire in your own censer. God didn't command that. Well, God, I'm just, you know, I'm just trying to be a part of what's going on here. You know, we got this big fire going on and I just thought it could be cool. I thought it would be great if I added, if you did what? Added to it? No, listen, it was perfect when it came out. We don't have to add to it. And I've been in some church services. I know maybe some of you have too. And it showcases people's propensity to want to add to something that's going on, right? When, when the presence of the Lord falls in a place and it's just quiet and everybody's standing in reverence and in awe. And somebody about halfway back goes, oh, I should prophesy. <laughs> now, there's nothing wrong with prophecy. But if you're saying something, when the moment requires silence, then you're adding something that he didn't tell you to add. And I've experienced it. You've experienced it. Those people really experienced it that day. What do you think happened to church that day? We got this great move of God, this great manifestation of God. And oh, look, Aaron's boys just died. It put an end to the manifestation. It put an end to the move because somebody wanted to add something to what was going on. I was reading about this last night. Remember when Jesus took was it Peter, James, and John up on the mountain? And he went away and he prayed and all of a sudden he became transfigured and his clothes began to shine and his face began to shine and they looked up. Peter and the boys looked up. They, one uh, account says they were sleeping. This whole thing woke them up. And they look and there's Jesus, but then there's Moses and there's Elijah and they're talking with him. And the Bible says Peter answered, which I think is funny because nobody said anything to him. <laughs> He just piped up in the middle of it. Peter's piping up quite a bit if you look throughout the scriptures. But there's this great, miraculous, how do you even put words around what they're seeing? Something nobody's ever seen before. And here stands Moses and Elijah talking to Jesus and he's shining like he's plugged in. And Peter's like, man, I got to say something. Uh, 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 Jesus, it, it, it's good that we're here because you know what I could do is we could build these little tabernacles, right? And we'll build one for you and we'll build one for Elijah and we'll build one for Moses. And the Bible said this, he said, because he didn't know what to say. 
And you know what happened? A voice came out of heaven. And a voice came out of the cloud and said, This is my son. Hear him. In other words, shut up and listen. And you know what happened? Moses and Elijah were gone. The whole thing was over. Now, I don't know if that's because the time was up and they needed to go. They had places to be. Or if Peter put an end to that whole thing by speaking up and adding something that nobody said. God didn't say anything about tabernacles. I didn't say you build a tabernacle. You have never wasted time like you do doing things he didn't tell you to do. And he's trying to add something to this move of God, to this manifestation of God. And when we do that, whether we realize it or recognize it or not, we're being too casual. We're taking ownership of something that's not ours to own. I can't tell you how many services I've been in where the presence of God was sweet and all of a sudden somebody thought, this is an excellent time for me to blow this shofar that I brought with me. <laughs> you know what that is, that big ram? Song? No, I'm not saying there's something necessarily wrong with that unless it's not the right time for it. And there's one way to identify, I believe, how, how to know the right time. And if, if Nadab and Abihu had just simply asked this question, they probably would have lived beyond that day. Just ask yourself, will what I'm about to say or do draw attention to me or will it keep attention on him? That was the big problem with what they did that day. God's doing this thing and they wanted in on it and it drew attention to them. Ask yourself, is what I'm about to do going to keep the attention on Jesus or, or is it going to make heads turn and look at me? And any time that attention is pulled away from him onto you or even onto me or anybody in this pulpit, God can't continue to manifest in that. He said, I must be regarded as holy by anybody who comes near me. I can't share this glory. By anybody who comes near, I must be sanctified in the eyes of the people. These moments of the manifestation of God, these are not moments to be capitalized on. As a minister, as a pastor, I'd be guilty before God if we've got this outstanding move of the Spirit of God in here and people are being saved and healed and delivered. And I thought, you know, you know what I need to do? Receive an offering. It happens. It happens. Is there something wrong with an offering? No, unless he didn't say anything about an offering then an offering is the wrong thing to do. How do we love God? Obey. And it opens the door to the manifestation of His presence in our lives. Would you stand up? Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.